Welcome to another episode of the Guys Telling Stories podcast. I'm Rich Douglas. I'm Bill Easton. And our producer, Sean's over there. Sean, how you doing? Pretty good, man. All right, guys. As always, remember, you can follow us online at guystellingstories.com. And we're on all social media, too. So please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. And uh, we've got a pretty cool Instagram page going, too. So, oh, and we're on Snapchat. We're on Snapchat. <laughs> yeah, so you can find all those links on our website at guystellingstories.com. While you're there, make sure you click on the Amazon link. If you're going shopping on Amazon online shopping, make sure you go to our homepage first, guystellingstories.com. Click that link. That link gives us a cut of the money you're about to spend. Yeah, and thank you for doing that. That's like a free donation, and mm-hmm. it kind of sounds like an oxymoron, free donation, but it's like, yeah, I'd like, to, I'd like to donate. I'd like to help. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's free to do so. You just got to go to our website first, click on the link. Think Amazon, think guys telling stories. Oh, I love that tagline, Sean. Nice job. Hey, and if you're looking for another way to get your name out there, be recognized uh, by the guys here at Guys Telling Stories, you can always go to the support the show link on the Guys Telling Stories uh, website. And uh, that'll take you to patreon.com, and that's just a way for you to donate and show your love for the show, and it gets you some bonus features, some prizes, shout-outs on the, uh, the podcast here, and uh, a few you know, extra fun little uh, bonuses. So be sure to support the show, patreon.com. You know, go to guystellingstories.com. All right, Bill, what do we got for a try at home oh, today? Oh, boy, this is great. <laughs> I'm always excited to hear what you come up with. This is a... Breakfast sandwich maker. I think it's actually what it's called is a breakfast sandwich maker. You can do it for lunch or dinner also. It is a Hamilton Beach. You can make English muffins, biscuits, croissants, whatever you want in there. Egg, bacon, cheese, and it's just like Tim Hortons. It looks looks delicious. delicious. You got to put a lot of cheese in it. You know, Bill is the type of guy that has a professional popcorn maker on his countertop. <laughs> <laughs> Next to that, he's got a breakfast sandwich maker. You got to see a picture of this thing. It's, uh, I think it's every college kid's dream or every single guy's dream. Yeah, uh, it's pretty affordable. Yeah, it's a, it, looks, uh, it looks pretty cool. Bill, you never cease to amaze me. Nice job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, Rich. <laughs> Just a reminder, all these products are available on our website under the Try at Home tab. So if you like what you see, click on those links and have some fun at home with this stuff. What do you got? All right, so I've got an ancient Viking game called Kube. Kube. K-U-B-B, Kube. Kube. So back oh, we've th- played that. Yeah. Well, back in the day, they had Vikings come and like ransack a city, <laughs> and then they would play Kube with like femurs and skulls of their conquerors. So Okay. All right. So try to follow me here. This is a game that's inspired by that. There's no human bones or anything like that so basically it's like the perfect yard game for everyone it's untimed you can play at the beach you can play on ice you can tailgate take it camping and you sit around with your family and friends and you throw these wooden stakes at these wooden blocks and you try to knock them down faster than your opponent and uh it's it's really cool you got to see this game you've never heard of it Coob. It is an amazing backyard game, unlike anything else. So definitely, K-U-B-B. So check it out on our website under the Try at Home tab. All right, let's get to our guest today, Bill. Mary Saxer. Mary Saxer. Mary Saxer is a professional pole vaulter. And mm-hmm. Bill, did you ever do any track and field events? No, no, we, no we, I ran like cross country. No, I didn't do track. That's crazy, <laughs> some of this stuff. You know, being a professional athlete is one thing. Being a professional athlete in a specialized sport like pole vaulting is such a unique skill set. Mm-hmm. And Mary is a decorated high school athlete, 
college athlete and now she's a professional. You know, I, when I was doing some research back in high school, she actually broke the state record for New York for long jump four times. For long jump? Yeah, long jump. And not, uh, not pole vault. Not pole vault. Okay. And then she started pole vaulting and then she broke that national record, the, the girls' national high school record for pole vaulting seven times. That's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, it looks like she goes to Notre Dame, she pole vaults there, and then now she's a professional. So let's talk to Mary. But before we do, I just wanted to say one thing. We're trying something new here. We've never done this before. Okay. We're going to do a two-part episode. So there's nothing extra to click on. But no, what we're going to do is we're going to talk to Mary right now. And we're a few weeks out before the U.S. Olympic trials, Bill. Mm -hmm. So what that means is Mary's going to head to these trials along with all the other pole vaulters and compete. And the top three finishers go and represent United States at the Olympics. Oh, she's in. Well, she's, you know, some of these Americans are the top 10, top 20 in the world, but it's kind of like, kind of a strange system because you can be in the top 10, but it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to go to the Olympics because you got to perform yeah. and peak on that day. On that day. If you have a bad day. At the day. U.S. trials. If you have a bad day, you're in trouble. Yeah. So we're going to talk to her and then hopefully we can get an update from her a few weeks later after the trials. Great. All Let's right. do it. Let's talk to Mary. Mary, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Thanks Hi. for having me. It's a pleasure. Very welcome. Thank you for being here. Yeah, we're, we're excited to get into it and hear about life and, uh, and everything that you're doing. But before we do, where can people find you online, follow you, check out some of your stuff? Yes, very much so on the social media, in the social media world. Um, Instagram, you can follow me at just Mary Saxer. Uh, Twitter, I'm Saks Defy Gravity, but if you just type in Mary Saxer, I'm pretty sure it'll come up. Um, I have a Facebook athlete fan page, just Mary Saxer, and I also have a personal website that one of my friends made. It's MarySaxer.com. Great. Yeah, that's great. Definitely check her out and you know, get, show her some love on uh, social media. Give her a little... Uh, little like and, uh, and, and kind of see the pictures she's been posting. Mary, we always like to bring our guests like way back to, to the beginning. When most people think of one day I want to be a professional hockey player, I know Bill, that was kind of his dream, or maybe Stop a, rubbing it in. a professional football player. You may not always hear about someone getting into a professional track and field event like a professional pole vaulter, right? Ooh. So, you know, uh, maybe you can kind of bring us back to the beginning. You know, uh, how'd you get started in that sport? So when I was four years old, my parents gave me the option of doing gymnastics or dance. And they sort of nudged me a bit more toward gymnastics, which I like the idea of dancing with the girly costumes. I'm very girly. But in the end, gymnastics was a wonderful decision for me. So I did gymnastics starting when I was four up until I was I think 12, like eight or nine years. And when I quit gymnastics, um, I mean, gymnastics had pretty much been my whole life, but I wanted to see what other sports were out there and give some things a try. So I went out for track and field and I made the varsity team my first year. As, so a, as like a freshman? As or, or it, Wow. Okay. Nice. Try it, do this little tryout. So, because when you're in middle school, you should be unmodified, but... I got pulled up, so that was awesome. So I did track and field, and then once high school hit, I also went out. I tried cheerleading for a year, 
And then um, cheerleading, it was a lot of fun, but it was during football and basketball season. And track is also during basketball season. And then in the spring, so I couldn't do, I had to pick and choose. And I kind of could see I had more of a future in track. So Okay. uh, Well, hey, did did mom or dad kind of nudge you one way or another? Like, because uh, they kind of led you down the, you know, gymnastics path a little bit, maybe. Yeah, well, actually, I think at that point, I could kind of see the big picture. I, I mean, I didn't know like what would evolve further down the road, of course, but I viewed cheerleading as just something fun. And I could see early on, like I had more of a future in track. So I'm sure we had my parents had a discussion with me about it. But they also wanted me to really do what I wanted to do, which was They've always been that way, which I really appreciate. So then, yeah, so track was my main focus. I was a sprinter, and um, my high school coach, uh, freshman year, said that I he would like me to do one of the jumping events, whether it's high jump or long jump. So I picked long jump, and I had some quick success in that. I went on to, I think it was a four-time state champion in long jump wow. <laughs> you know a little success at that yeah just a little uh, yeah you lose track after the third <laughs> state track title oh wow that's great oh, i feel like that was a long time ago uh, yeah, well you know it, it's it, you know when people think back to high school just most people are developing skills for example yeah. you know if you're playing basketball the coaches are trying to get you to shoot properly or maybe try your left hand. I don't know, Bill. What about... Well, you know, I, I started did, drinking in high school. I got, <laughs> I'm pretty good at that now. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. And you're you're flying through the air. So with with long jump then, it was that your main event for those first couple of years? Exactly. So I still did like the 100, the 200, the 4 by one relay, but long jump was where I had my most success my first two years of high school. And then between my sophomore and junior year, I was at a long jump camp that summer and the pole vault coach approached me and insisted I try pole vaulting. So until this point, I had looked at pole vaulting, but never considered it at all. I thought it was cool, but I thought those people are crazy. I had like no interest in it. So the coach approached me, insisted I try. So the second day of this camp that I was supposed to be long jumping at, I pole vaulted. <laughs> and then from that day, I never looked back. So I started going to this coach like an hour away in Rochester two, maybe three times a week starting my junior year and uh, picked it up really quickly. I still did long jumping. I still did sprinting for high school track, but pole vault quickly became my main focus. My first year, I jumped 12 feet, five inches, and I placed second at the high school nationals. And then my senior year, I jumped 14 feet, two inches. So I became the first high school girl to ever clear 14 feet. So that was a big barrier for, I mean, for the, for the event and as a whole. And then I broke my senior year, I broke the previous high school national record seven times. Oh, wow. So, so I, was, if, <laughs> it, it, I mean, what an accomplishment for <laughs> people who are like, you know, new to this event it was women's pole vault, something that had existed since, you know, track and field, or was it a relatively new event? I'm just curious, how old are these records you're breaking seven times? 
That is a really good question. In the year 2000, that Olympic Games was the first Olympic Games that women's pole vault was involved. So it's still pretty a pretty new event for track and field and for the Olympics, relatively. So you'll continue seeing women's pole vault, like people breaking more and more records and more women, I mean, like really pushing the barriers. So it's really exciting. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, at the time in high school, I was really breaking the barriers. But I mean, there's girls still continuing to do so. Absolutely. Well, you know, when you mentioned that you were driving, I don't know, like an hour or two to go be coach in this event, is that including during the off season in the summer or is it just during like, you know, spring? Yeah, that was during the summer and the fall as well. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's a big commitment. And we always like to sort of like touch on family a little bit in terms of who's driving you. Was it, did you have a system? Was it mom, dad driving yourself, uh, brother, sister? Maybe kind of paint that picture for us a little bit. And how kind of car did you have to put the pole in? (laughs) So when I first started, uh, it was my junior year. So I didn't get my driver's license till a couple months into my junior year of high school. So I think at first it was my parents taking turns driving me, which is a huge commitment. Sure and is. then once I got my driver's license, they allow, I didn't have my own car until college. So they would allow me to take their one vehicle. It was usually the big blue minivan. <laughs> okay. Um, and so, yeah, I was very fortunate that they were super flexible in allowing me to use their vehicle. But yeah, then I started driving myself. It definitely made the days I went to pole vault practice, they made for long days because I would usually leave after school and then with the drive and a couple hour practice, probably wouldn't get home till like nine. Wow. But in some ways it was similar to gymnastics days because I mean, gymnastics is a big time commitment. So... In some ways, we were preconditioned, but... (laughs) Yeah, so the minivan did it, though. Those poles fit in the back of the minivan? Well, so my poles at the time, I would either have some poles at my high school or most of my poles were kept in Rochester. So it was rare that I would have to transport them myself. But if you want to transport poles, the way to do it, you can really strap them on any vehicle, um, if it has a roof rack, that's ideal and tie it to the roof rack on the top. But if not, um, you can strap them to the side, just kind of hook them in the trunk and the hood. So I've put them on like really tiny cars before and they <laughs> hang way off, but it works. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking about the coach that puts the pole in your hand for the first time. Do you yes. think, because it sounds like you have this natural ability that you have developed for over a decade now. Do you think if that coach lived nine hours away and you didn't have those summer trips, you know, what what type of experience would would you have had those last couple years of high school? Well, I mean, if I hadn't run into this exact situation, I don't know if I would be pole vaulting even. Wow. Honest. And that, I mean, I've thought about that a lot today now that this is my career, just how like that one day and that one moment in time really changed the path I went on, you know? Absolutely. I'm thinking of a high school quarterback. Maybe he plays basketball as well. And if he has a glimmer of hope of maybe playing, you know, division one football, then, Mm -hmm. then maybe there's a professional team in the area and there's a whole 
you know, gaggle of coaches, of, of people yeah. going, hey, kid, you can do it. Head over here and we'll train you. Head over here, we'll train you. And he's surrounded day after day by all these people telling him, yeah. hey, you know what? You, 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 might be able to, you might be able to become something, right? You had, you had to get in a car by yourself <laughs> and, and, and drive two hours and then drive back two hours. I'm making, yeah. I'm making Rich laugh because I just started laughing because apparently a bunch of coaches is called a gaggle. I knew I knew when I said it. A group it. of two or more coaches uh, is now a gaggle. I knew when I said it. I don't know what you call a, a bunch of, of coaches. coaches. But no, but it's it's an interesting thing. So you it's it's like um a product of circumstance in, in some ways where all of a sudden it's like, "Hey, I'm on this path." All right, cool. Yeah, and uh, and it, that being said, it was like that you know, the stars kind of aligned for, you know, that coach to approach me and then um on top of that, my parents being supportive and willing to give me the car and like do whatever it took, you know? And like my parents would often say they view this as my job in high school because I mean, as especially my senior year, we were realizing um, over time that this was going to pay my way through college. So they certainly viewed it like my high school job that I went to after, um, after school, like a lot of other kids would. So I definitely appreciate their support. I feel like I had just like the right people around me. And is it something that you enjoy doing? I guess what I mean by that, when you start training for something this this sport specific and, and doing it and it's repetitive, did you ever lose interest in it? Did it ever become too much? Did it lose like it's, why am I doing this? It's not fun anymore. Or did you just embrace it and then really enjoy it? And does that, does that help you uh, succeed? I reflect back on just my career as a whole a lot lately. And in high school, everything was just such a whirlwind. Like I, you know, this new event was kind of just thrown at me and I had such quick success and it was just like, nothing could go wrong. I felt invincible. And I mean, I think at the time I, I did appreciate what was, what my success was, but now I appreciate it way more. And I look back on it and I'm like, wow, that's pretty, that's pretty incredible. And, you know, in, in college, um, I mean, pole vaulting certainly opened the door. I had my pick of colleges and I went to Notre Dame and an, an incredible school that without pole vaulting, I, would have never considered. And even if I did consider it, I would not have gotten into. And so <laughs> I view that. I mean, I'm like, wow, like what, what a cool, you know, op- I mean, what a great opportunity pole vaulting has given me in just that sense, giving me this great education at this awesome university. But in college, I actually struggled quite a bit. I started to second guess myself. I, um, had a lot of mental issues as far as pole vaulting. I became afraid of the sport. I, I would um, run down the runway and just run through. I wouldn't be afraid to take it up in the air because I just started thinking so much. Mm-hmm. And I almost quit altogether my junior year of college. Okay. Uh, my I came home that Christmas and <clears throat> I remember sitting on the couch crying. I was just not having fun at all. And... Um, filling out financial aid and everything with my parents. And I was so close to just giving it up. And I, that year I had started, um, going to a sports psychologist at Notre Dame. I want to say 
it might've been a couple times a week. And through that, I don't know, one day that spring, something just clicked with me. And I was like, you know what? I, when I started this sport, like this was fun and I want to get back to that. I want to do it for me and cause it's fun and it shouldn't be this thing I dread doing every day. And so I went to practice one day and I just started taking, um, jumping off the ground again and taking it up. And it was like my breakthrough moment for whatever reason, I think just cause I, like I said, I realized I wanted to do it for me and that this is supposed to be fun. And, um, from that spring day all the way through my senior year, when I graduated, I continued to improve again. And I ended up my senior year, we ended up getting a new coach. And when that coach came in, coach Garnum, he's actually from Buffalo. So (laughs) So throwing the name out there, um, he came in and he sat me down and he sat, he knew my whole story. He knew my struggles, everything. And he said, all right, what do you want to get out of this year? And I was like, honestly, at that point I was like, I just want to have fun again. So that was, and I was like, I want to make nationals because based on my high school accomplishment, it was kind of expected. I would come into college and just, you know, tear things up, go to nationals, maybe win nationals. And I had yet to qualify for college nationals. And so at this time, it's been three full years. And wow, you know, the phrase that keeps kind of ringing in my mind about your story so far is, is that word fun. And I'm wondering, I know we're already into the college years, but from senior year to like, you know, junior year of college, did you have fun outside of the sport? Was life outside of pole vaulting a good time, a regular college experience? What was that like? Yes. In my college decision, one thing that I wanted, I wanted to go to a school, I'd get a great education, and I wanted to go somewhere that if anything happened with pole vaulting, whether the coach left, whether I got injured, or, I mean, what happened to me, I was just struggling, that I would still love where I was at, and that was absolutely the case. I loved my roommates, I loved my teammates. I had so much fun going to football games all fall and every other aspect of the college experience was awesome. So that being said, like during these years I was struggling with pole vault, I still had no regrets about my decision, my choice of college. So Yeah, that makes sense. So for people who haven't been to South Bend, Indiana, if you haven't actually been to the campus, I drove through it once. Bill, you ever been there? Uh, drove by it. By it. I mean, it's picturesque. It's amazing. What's it like to be a Division One athlete at a school like Notre Dame, but not be on the football team? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. Well, maybe I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but go ahead, ask her. Bill, uh, for for those of you that don't know, Bill has a little history. He uh, he did uh, play for West Virginia. Uh, he was on the soccer team. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, I okay, think. No. Thank you, Mary. <laughs> I think. I think. Mary some, acknowledges it. I think some listeners have heard that story before, oh, okay. but I know you're just telling Mary. I'm just having fun. Well, you know what, Mary? No, I'll rephrase it. Then I was thinking you were like the big woman on campus. You got these high school record breaking yeah. pole vaulter coming around. Even like these seven foot tall basketball players would be like, "Hey, that's her. That's that. That's that track and field girl." So I guess that's what I meant. Like, what's it yeah. like? 
like yeah. when you're socializing with these other athletes, these other yeah. division one players, you know, just regular kids going to school. What's that like? Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, like, I mean, all the athletes were around each other all the time. And I mean, to some extent, like we all have so much respect for the other athletes, whether they're in your sport or not, because to play on the D one level alone, I mean, that's an accomplishment. And I think people, I mean, at least on the track team, for sure, like people knew what I had accomplished in high school and what I was capable of. And I mean, because of that, were maybe even more supportive when I was struggling. But yeah, I think on a daily basis, you kind of forget like where you're at. Like I would walk around the campus, like now when I go back, I really take it in and it just takes my breath away. But when you're, when you're living there, it's like, yeah, you're hanging out with like maybe some football players, but you just think of them as like your friends, you know? And, um, but when you take a step back, you're like, wow, that's such and such, you know? (laughs) So I think it just, it's all relative. It's all perspective. Uh, I sort of, uh, I'll I'll kind of, uh, bring you back to where you were. It's funny because, uh, with pole vaulting, you literally take like a first step, like that no turning back step. Yeah. And we always ask a question like that. So you, you get this new coach senior yeah. year. He asked what you want out of it. You said to have fun again. So let's pick up where uh, we left off there. What, what happened next to sort of bring you out of this kind of yeah. funk you were in? Yeah. So I said, I wanted to have fun and I would really like to make nationals. So he said, all right, like that's the goal. Let's do it. So he was so much fun. He came in, he said there wouldn't be a workout that he would make us do that he wouldn't do with us. So he would run our 300s with us and run hill workouts. And he's just a big goofball. <laughs> was any good at him? Yeah. <laughs> I remember doing this once when I was coaching. It lasted like two days. And I was like, okay, guys. Yeah, he's going home sore every day. Yeah. You're, you're on your own. <laughs> well, he, uh, he used to be a a D1 athlete as well. Okay. So he was a, a decathlete. So he did 10 events. Yeah. So <laughs> he, uh, he's definitely an athlete. So yeah. no, no, I'm just teasing. I'm sure he's, uh, <laughs> no, but it's like something coaches say, like, I'll do this too. Yeah. With you. And then you get these, you know, in shape 22 year olds just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I was your age, I used to do 10 of those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, he hung in there really well. Oh. I was impressed, but So the indoor season came and, um, I ended up qualifying for nationals and at nationals, I became an all American, which is if you finish top eight among the American athletes. So that's a pretty big deal, right? Yeah. So I was pumped. I can so, tell you what, what you get when you finish in the bottom eight. Uh, <laughs> no, they don't give you much. No, no, absolutely not. Yeah, Bill finished in the bottom, bottom eight. Bottom eight. Oh, hey, <laughs> you're there. You have, that's when you have to take a step back mm-hmm. and say, I'm still a D1 athlete. What an accomplishment. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so you're top eight, and, yeah. and, uh, and where do you go from there then? Well, so then for the outdoor season, um, my goal became, I wanted to finish, I wanted to place high, like in my mind, I wanted to place top three at nationals. So I ended up doing exactly that. I placed third at the outdoor national championships. And then right before that, well, so backtrack, I had accepted a job to work in Chicago. I accepted the job in November of my senior year. Cause at that point I was like, 
like it wasn't even on my radar about pole vaulting after college. Sure. What did uh, what did you go to school for, and then eventually get a job for? Yeah, um, I went for business marketing. Um, so I was going to work for Apartments.com, and then um, a few weeks before graduation, my my college coach and just my support team and another coach in the area who was working with an elite guy pole vaulter, um, who they started coming to around when we were at practice. So they started talking to me as well and kind of putting the bug in my ear about, hey, have you ever thought about continuing to pole vault after college, which I hadn't. And so with a lot of encouragement, I gave up my job before starting it and decided, what the heck, I'll give this pole vault thing post-collegiately a year or two, see what it's all about, see if I improve, see where it takes me. So I figured I'd do it for two years and then move on with my life, honestly, at that point. How far away were, was the first Olympic trials? Where maybe it's like, let me do this for a couple of years. Okay, yep. it's working. Let me try out for... Let me yes. try out for the you know, USA national team, basically. I graduated in May of 2009, and the Olympic trials were in 2012. So essentially, I had three years okay. um, before the Olympics. 2010, I ended up placing third at U.S. nationals. I jumped a, personal be- a big personal best and placed third. And I think for me, at that moment... I was like, wow, like I placed third at nationals. Like, I think I can, I'm really getting somewhere here, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So that was a big, um, that was, I think a big turning point in my eyes as far as starting to really see where I fit in and, um, starting to really take it more seriously. I've improved on my personal best every year since I graduated college, except for last year. I mean, I always said like when I can no when I'm no longer improving, then I need to be done. Well, hopefully our listeners realize this, but you're like ranked in the whole world, and yeah. you know with the Olympics, it's a competition of countries, so you're definitely ranked in the country. As you're improving year after year after year, how close are you to being at the top of those ranks, respectively? You know, country, yeah. world, all that. 2011, I finished ranked top 20 in the world. 2012 was the Olympic year, and in the U.S., since there are several pole vaulters that that attain the Olympic qualifying standard, we go through the Olympic trial system, and you have to place top three at the Olympic trials in order to make the Olympic Games. So in 2012, I placed fourth at the Olympic trials based on a tiebreaker, so I jumped the same height as a third place woman, mm-hmm. but I had one more miss um, in my competition than her. So are you kidding I, me? <laughs> I was the Olympic alternate for two thousand. Uh, so do they bring you to the Olympics then, just in case? They don't. Uh, I heard that before. Yeah, since we're an individual sport, they have until a certain date to like declare if they're definitely going or not. But if it's after that date and something happens, then oh well. <laughs> yeah, that happened in the last Olympics. I'm not sure if it was track, um, but it did happen to somebody, and somebody got basically called up, and he had to get there, and he was uh, he wasn't prepared to 
get there. He made it, yeah. but he didn't perform well. Wow. Uh, I don't know if it you would probably know if it was track, so I'm guessing it wasn't. Um, yeah. Um, so I know the Olympics are still uh, just a little while away, but so yeah. you, you literally, so that listeners understand, anybody that's there representing their country basically qualified as the top three, one of the top three people in their respective field. Yeah. Well, that being said, so the majority of countries might only have one or two, well, we'll we'll talk about pole vault, one or two pole vaulters that have jumped the Olympic standard. So they automatically go to the Olympics. But like I said, because the U.S. has so much depth, we have to go through this system. So that being said, I've sat home, like I sat home from the last Olympic Games and I've sat home from a world championship or two, even though I've been ranked top 20 in the world and there's over 20 women there. Mm-hmm. It's just they, the system, you only can have three people from a given country. Why don't you go to Jamaica? You can be like the yeah, bobsled you team. Gotta... <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, man. thought about like what country <laughs> can I jump for? <laughs> yeah. Go to Ancestor.com, find out your mom's actually Canadian yeah. or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, it seems like if the United States could bring everybody, then uh, if it was just a, like a battle royale, then all of a sudden, you know, we, we'd have many more people going and placing. That's for sure. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Some of those, so, some of those like semifinals with that stuff are funny anyway because there'll be like three Americans racing and then yeah. there's five <laughs> random countries against them and only two people <laughs> can move on. It's just all right. Well, they finished one, two, and three. I don't even know why we do these. Well, exactly. <laughs> I mean, the American, like the U.S. Olympic trials and just U.S. nationals every year is the best track meet in the world. It, just because we have so much. Depth. I mean, you take like the women's hurdle. I mean, you could pick up several events that are like this. The women's hurdles right now, there's probably 10 women that could medal, wow. but you can only take three. <laughs> so it's just like, it, it really is the hardest team to make. So basically you, <laughs> you're, one of your prizes is not only winning it, it's, it's, you also get to go to the Olympics. So you won the best track and field contest in the world. Yeah. And then it's like you have to take a vacation and compete <laughs> and compete <laughs> against lesser athletes. <laughs> like we joke that, like I mean, we have to peak twice. We have to peak for the trials and then again for the Olympics when every other country just has to worry about the, the actual Olympic games. So and yeah, I feel like I mean our trials are almost. I mean, I think I'd be more nervous for our trials than the actual Olympics. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and maybe you can speak to this a little bit. It seems like the trials are so close to the Olympics compared to some of the other events. Now, maybe not track and field events, but there's mm-hmm. literally other Olympians doing a tour around the country. A hundred days left, 80 days left, 50 days left. Yeah. And, and here it seems like six weeks before, you know, you have a, 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 a this, this, this monumental four-year, every four-year experience you guys are out there trying to peak. Exactly, exactly. The trials are closer to the Olympics, I think, than they've ever been. Because, like, I compete the last the last few days of the trials. I jump July 8th and 10th. Okay. And then the Olympic Games start, I think, on August 6th. So that's less than a month. I mean, we don't compete right away, but it's like, 
it's a really quick turnaround. And usually our nationals are the end of June. So they're even pushed back like a week or two later this year. So okay. um, I don't, I'm not really sure what the reasoning is for that. Um, and yeah, I know that some other, other U.S. sports have already had their trials. So not really sure why ours are so close, but I guess it is what it is. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's look ahead to the Olympics because a lot of people who are going to be listening are probably going to be excited about watching. And if they're listening to this after the fact, maybe to see just how everything went down. So uh, yeah. I guess personally, what excites you about the Olympic Games? Well, the Olympic Games, that's the ultimate dream um, for me. That's why I have chosen this career path for now. And that's what I go out there every day and lift weights, run workouts, pole vault. That's what I'm working towards every day to be an Olympian and ultimately to be an Olympic medalist. So to be there and just to have the opportunity to wear USA across my chest, like I said before, it's the hardest team in the world to make. So what an incredible feeling, what an incredible accomplishment um, to be able to do that. And um, I've been on two world championship teams, so I've, I've had a similar you know, experience to what I think the Olympics would be like, but the Olympics is like the ultimate dream for, I think, any person in an Olympic sport. And uh, like the whole world watches, and I just think about how cool – you know, things like going to the, being a part of the opening and closing ceremonies and just, yeah. just such a unique event. Like I said, like the whole world watches and there's just really nothing like it. All right, guys. That was uh, part one of our interview with Mary Sachs. That's pretty cool. That's she's impressive. A, yeah, she's you a know, nice girl. She had some very quick success at a young age. I mean, in high school, to be able to break a national record, that's amazing. And then go to Notre Dame and be become a professional pole vaulter, that's pretty cool. I like Notre Dame a little bit more now. <laughs> Not a lot. Uh, Bill and his West, West Virginia pride. That's right. Well, this has been an amazing story, but it's not over yet. The first part of the interview that you just heard was actually weeks ago. Mm-hmm. We got in touch with Mary a few weeks before the U.S. Olympic trials. And now we're looking to give her a call back and get an update because it's been a few weeks since the trials. And those of you that do not know this already, um, she didn't make the Olympic team. She didn't, uh, she didn't have the greatest day. I think you know we, we talked about before we even talked to her, the chances of, of someone just having a bad day and, and, and not qualifying, and, and it appears that's what happened to her. Yeah, the, the story goes, and, and, and maybe you guys were following us this whole season, is, you know, as soon as this season aired, I went on that bike trip, Bill, and I was away. I was biking from Pittsburgh to D.C., and the Olympic trials were happening. Yep. So you were sending me text messages, and all of a sudden you send me a text, and it says, you know, Mary didn't qualify. Yeah, it's sad. I was like, what? I know. And I just felt for her so much. Yeah, it's it's funny how you she she was so nice to us and, and just so genuine that it was hard to uh, it, it, we were rooting for her, not just as an American, but uh, yeah, you know, it's kind of a friend. So well, so I go online and I see her, a Facebook message from her that she posted on her fan page, and it had the most amazing perspective, incredible 
like response to what happened. Yeah. Yeah. You, you shared it with me. I liked it. Yeah. I read it like 10 times. I showed it to my wife. It was just kind of inspirational. And in the face of something that, you know, she'd probably consider disappointing. Mm-hmm. She had such a unique reaction and response. Yeah. And I'm hoping what we can do right now is check in with her about the U.S. trials, what went down, what happened, and maybe we can talk a little bit about her Facebook post and then, you know, what's in store for her next. In Tokyo. <laughs> maybe. We'll ask her about that. <laughs> okay, so guys, thanks for sticking around. This is part two of our interview with Mary Saxer. Okay, Mary, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, Bill. Be back. Yeah, well, thanks for having me back, Rich. Yeah. <laughs> Just wanted to acknowledge you, Bill. Uh, <laughs> so, Mary, this is a first-time thing for us. We uh, had recorded with you a few weeks before the U.S. trials, and now we're touching base with you a few weeks after. So thanks for coming back on. Yeah, of course. I'm happy to be back with you guys. So I was on a little bit of a bike trip. I was uh, biking with my father-in-law during the Olympic trials, and we were at this uh, old like bed and breakfast. And I was uh, watching them on TV like every single day. And I got to say, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, Bill and I were just rooting for you like crazy. Mm -hmm. So when I had time to like in between like biking, kind of like check my phone and see what's happening. Uh, I got a text message from Bill. He's like, ah, oh, I don't think I don't think Mary qualified. And I was like, mm-hmm. what? And so I pulled up your Facebook. And I got to say, this is like a compliment to you. There was this the most amazing like Facebook post I've ever seen, like the best perspective on life and going for your dreams and accomplishments ever. So, you know, maybe you could talk a little bit about the trials and about, you know, what happened after and that Facebook post and all that yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for the compliments on uh, my post and for following me, even though you were on a bike trip and following <laughs> me, Bill. Thank you. Um, I appreciate the support so much. I mean, before, during, and after the support I received was incredible. And I really felt like I felt speechless like throughout it. I just was really touched. So going into these trials, I don't know, I felt very different in a lot of ways from four years ago in 2012. And in 2012, I had become the alternate and barely missed the team. So I was like, you know, I had always in my head thought 2016 was my time. This is the time where I'm going to be at the perfect point in my um, pole vaulting career. And it just like from the start of my professional vaulting career, I'd had Rio 2016 in my mind. So for me, this just like, this was everything. Yeah, of Um, course. So I'm forgetting now when we talked if I had gotten injured yet. You said that you had okay. you had strained your calf and yes. were were basically and you I remember because um, you were posting really cool like like Instagram pictures of you like running in a right. pool or like <laughs> uh, like working out like swimming or something. Are so you, are you right. can, that's my Instagram. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Bill was falling into a pool. Oh. <laughs> Oh. Yeah. So that's when we that's when we had talked last. So yeah, I like to touch back on that. So I had gotten injured and it basically took me out of some important world class meets and almost a month of actually pole vaulting. But I was able to get back on the runway a few weeks before the trials and I still felt like I was in a really good position and going into the trials I not just saying this, I had the best two weeks of pole vault practice I've ever had in my life. And no, I, I was clearing I bars. And, yeah. Pardon? 
I, I sorry to interrupt. I just was saying I could tell you seemed so happy and fun, and we were following you, and you. you were like posting pictures of yourself, like dancing to country music, and just yeah. <laughs> and 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 you probably don't recall this just because it was a few weeks back, but that was one of the things. It was like a theme for your your the first part of your episode was was fun, like make this fun. Um, exactly. So you you were going strong two weeks in. Yeah. Uh, so well, and as soon as I had gotten back on the runway, my coach actually he had talked to several friends outside of track and field and put together this video mashup of all of them dancing. And so before every pole vault practice, he would make me watch this video. And it's the first time it was a surprise. And then each time he showed me, like added a new friend to it and. It just like brought a tear to my eye, but like made me smile and get in the right frame of mind for pole vault practice. Like, okay, like this is a stressful time, but it's also super exciting and it's supposed to be fun, right? So um, I would watch that and he would make me dance a little bit. So the girl I'm training (laughs) with, Lauren, would dance with me before practice. And I just felt like everything was just falling into place so well in so many ways. So I go out to the trials and yeah, I was... (laughs) I was really nervous. I mean, I should say just more like it's a really stressful time, you know, it's because to make the US team you have you have twenty some girls with the Olympic qualifying standards, so it totally just matters who places top three in that final. And so it's just crazy to think like all these years and everything I put into it comes down to one day. But as much as I could, I tried not to focus on that because that just got me more anxious. Right. Um So just trying to stay as relaxed as possible. Like when I got out to Eugene, um, my coach, my husband and I, we rented an Airbnb apartment, just one thing. So I could like cook my own breakfast and lunch and I didn't have to be in a hotel around other athletes and just little simple things like that to help keep me calm because you're out there for like almost a week too. So going into the trials, um, so the prelims, um, I, of course, like the weather had been like 80 and sunny the previous week. And uh, the day of our prelims, it was like 60 and rain. (laughs) But the prelims still went on. And um, luckily for me, I I did like the minimal amount of warmups. I was just like, everything was firing on all cylinders. I just felt so in the zone, like so ready to go. I only had to jump one bar to make the final which was great because I saved as much energy as I could that way. And I, I just felt like everything that was like the day, like if, if that had been the final, I think I would be on the team. I just felt like so in the zone, everything was perfect. So go home, like excited. I made the final trying to relax, stay in the zone and then come back two days later for the final. And it's raining again, not quite as hard, but it's like in the 50s. <laughs> okay. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so just adding to, um, you know, all the emotions, you got to deal with that <laughs> going on. You got to keep your grip dry so you don't slip off the pole, everything. So my warm-ups, they were average warm-ups the day of the finals. They weren't as perfect as the prelims, but I can't tell you how many times I've had warm-ups that didn't go perfect and I still had a great competition so right. didn't really think twice about it so the bar goes up and uh you go um you get three attempts at each height and so opening height I take off the ground and I come down on the backside and barely 
brush the bar. So I like land on the mat. And for a second, I thought the bar was like maybe going to stay. So I was like, oh, dang it. Just unlucky. So yeah. talked to my coach. We decided to keep everything the same. Like, so <clears throat> they were like, the likelihood that that's going to happen again is slim. So the exact same thing happens again. <laughs> so then now I'm on my last final attempt. But when you take a third attempt, especially in this stressful situation, you got to think of it as just a separate event every time you step on the runway. You can't think of it like, oh, my God, last attempt. And right. Like right. So I think I was staying pretty calm. Um, I'd definitely been in this position before in other big meets, and it's been worked out fine. So third attempt, I made a small adjustment according to how the last two jumps had went and uh, barely hit it on the way up. So it was like one of those things, if I had just kept everything the same on that third jump, I would have still been in the competition. So unfortunately, like I wasn't, I was vaulting well and nothing was wrong. It was just a series of unfortunate circumstances. So I know heighted and there were two other girls that no heighted in the final. And so, you know, I'm sitting over there and I have to stay out on the field and proceed to watch this whole competition go down on top of how I'm feeling and uh. just awful. So <clears throat> when I landed on the mat initially after that final miss, um, I just felt like, I just felt like it was a bad dream. I was like, this didn't really happen. Like I'll wake up. This isn't really, yeah, this isn't real life. And I like walked off the mat, put my pole, my warm-ups on. And I was just like numb, like no tears or anything. And I decided to go over to my coach. And as soon as I went over to him is when the tears started to flow. Um, so anyway, so that was that. I had to watch the whole competition go down. Afterward, I, yeah, I went and talked to my coach. And like we debriefed and saw my husband and, went and got donuts with one of my best friends. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. All those kind of things. Oh. I actually, I, I didn't look at my phone for hours after. And even when I did, I didn't really respond to anyone that night. It was just way too much to deal with. I can't, um, I, I can't even imagine because <laughs> what I'm expecting you to see when you finally look at your phone is the, the little red notification thing at one of the highest numbers you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. <That's>, yeah. <laughs> and and in this post of yours, and of, I, of course, if people want to go check it out, you know, Mary Sachs yeah. are on Facebook. Yeah, I'll touch on it too. Yeah, you know, they can they can like your page and, and, and scroll back and look at it. But, you know, it just says that, you know, at that point, most people would feel like a failure. And you said, you know, you're anything but. Yeah. Uh, but let me ask you, like in that moment, you're grabbing, you're grabbing the donuts and yeah. it's all still sinking in, you know, yeah. w w what's going through your mind then? How are you feeling? That first night, I just felt a mix between like just being numb and not really thinking it had, ha had happened the way it did and then realizing and then just like bursting into tears. And so, you know, when I went and got donuts with my girlfriend and her husband, or fiance, I didn't even cry in that like 30 minutes we were there. I was like laughing with her and we had just kind of, we, she had missed the team as well. And like, we both like understood everything we had gone through. And it was like, it was almost easier to deal with in that setting. But when I'm like removed from that and like looking at my phone and dealing with the outside world, that's when it hits me more. So then the next day, I think it was the next day. I'm going to talk about that post I made. I knew that I needed to make some kind of post or I wanted to just to like, 
get everything off my chest and just get everything out there to everyone who had supported me, anyone that had maybe followed my journey and could take anything away from it, like the lessons I'd learned. And so, I mean, I won't read the whole thing, but I'll read like parts of what I wrote. So I said, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't devastated. I've poured my heart and soul into this sport for the last 13 years. I've had the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Then I explained everything I had already explained to you guys about how the trials went down and how I unfortunately no heighted. I'm just, I felt like I was just truly unlucky. Um, and then I touched on about my calf strain, which sidelined me from some world class competitions and several weeks of pole vault. But as the trials grew closer, I continued to do everything possible that I could to aid my recovery and stay mentally strong. And I really feel like I was mentally, physically, emotionally in an amazing place going into the trials. But just unfortunately, the trials final wasn't my day. In a sport like track and field that's based around the Olympic movement, it's safe to say that the Olympic trials definitely have made me feel like a failure. I feel like our track and field, it just, whether you make or miss an Olympic team, it feels like that makes or breaks your career, unfortunately. However, when I've been thinking, both in this post and in the weeks since the trials, I'm like, you know what? I'm anything but a failure because I can truly stand here. I'm proud of myself because I've chased my dreams. And I don't know how many people can truly say that they've gone out and chased their dreams You're and gone right. after it yeah. every day. And um, I've even, I've persevered like through through everything. And I said I fought the good fight. I even wore USA across my chest a couple of times, um, which is a dream come true in itself. And I've made two world championship teams, which, to be honest, in our sport, amongst the track and field athletes, a world team and an Olympic team are the same thing because it's the same process to get there and it's the same caliber of competition. It's just that the outside world knows like knows way more about the Olympics. Mm-hmm. That's why the Olympics are just such a like a step up from that. But still to have worn USA across my chest, I mean that alone is a dream come true. And you know, this sport may have not have taken me to the Olympic Games like I dreamed, but it's taken me around the world. It's given me some of the most incredible friendships and it's taught me more about myself than I have ever knew possible. And for that, I'm so grateful. And I, I really am. I mean, I'm the maid of honor in one of my closest competitors weddings next year. And before being a professional pole vaulter, I'd never even been out of, well, I'd never been off the continent. I'd been to Canada and Mexico. But now, like, you name it, I've probably been to that country. Yeah. It's just like when I take a step back and think about the journey as a whole, the Olympics, yeah, that's, like, the ultimate goal that I've had. But I, it doesn't take away anything, any of the journey, any of the fun, any of the accomplishments that I've had. And I'm just thankful that I've been able to – chase this dream and make pole vaulting the, my one passion in life, the, my career for several years. And I've been really lucky with the support team I've had around me. I, I mean, my husband, my coach, my family, all my friends, even the people I don't know, like shoot you guys watching the trials on your phones. Like I just, I don't know. It, 
I really just feel like I have trouble putting it into words, like how much it, it means to me, but I just feel lucky that I've been able to experience so much. Now, Mary, I'm so happy that you're sharing your story with us and, and with anybody out there listening, because I, honestly, everything you just said is what people want to do. But like you said, not a lot of people actually can say that they go after their dreams and then probably even fewer people have faced their dreams. Yeah, most people are, are afraid of failure and therefore won't go down the path that you went on just so they don't fail. And yeah. here you're basically... Uh, reflecting on the experience as being the success and not necessarily just one competition. Because even yeah. it's, even though it's the Olympics, it, it is one competition. It is one very mm-hmm. small part of someone's life. It's just, you know, you have good days and bad days. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, yeah. and a lot of times with these episodes, we're, we're talking to people in just different walks of life. And for someone mm-hmm. who is a professional athlete who's talking about you know, basically reaching the pinnacle of their sport and dealing with failure. There are so many professional athletes out there that know exactly what you're going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like every single NFL football team goes, ends their season disappointed except for one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> every That's single true. one. And every single That's basketball true. team. And some people know they're having a bad season and then they just kind of like pack it in and go home. And then other teams, they can make it so far and then lose the big game. So, you know, you're sharing your personal story and I just think that's invaluable to everybody out there listening, but we have no idea what that's like. Yeah. We have no idea what that's like. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just want to, so I've received several messages since the trials from, I mean, young vaulters, parents of my competitors, like you name it. And a common theme has been, I guess, a lot centered on this post, actually. Like, I'm, like, shocked, but, like, so happy that this post, like, made such an impact on so many people. But, yeah, I think that the point is that, like, you shouldn't be afraid of failure. You shouldn't be afraid to go after your dreams. And it's not always going to work out. But, like, for example, Okay, Steph Curry, like they didn't win the finals, but no one thinks any less of Steph Curry. Not at all. And so I think I think because I didn't make an Olympic team, that doesn't take away from the pole vaulter I am, you know, and I think there's so many people that can maybe take a little something of what I said and apply it to their own life, whether they're an athlete or not. And I mean, if I can just touch one person's life, like that that's makes me so happy and fulfilled to be honest. No, I'm going to ask, you know, the, anybody out there listening, you know, if, you, if you're hearing this story and it's, it's like resonating with you, just let Mary know that y- y- she did touch you a little bit. And, and yeah. you know, obviously I already reached out to you and it was something on my mind throughout that whole bike trip I took. And I'm just so happy that you can put into words everything that happened from people, you know, people listening are going to hear your story from before, during, mm-hmm. after. And mm-hmm. I, I, I just think it's going to be really great for, for everyone out there. And, oh, and then you. just before Christmas, we want to we touch base again and talk about the holidays. About the holidays? Sure. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. <laughs> no. Uh, everybody out there should know we, we talked to Mary for a good, you know, I don't even know, 10, 15 minutes before we started recording. And I mean, 
this has been a, I'm sure this part of the episode was going to be very serious for people, but guys, we were talking about uh, The Bachelor. Oh my gosh. The Bachelor at well, how, your husband, <laughs> how Your Husband Watches It. You stole my tangent. <laughs> Oh, he's gonna love me for uh, telling you guys. Uh, well, he—I mean, yeah, you are happily married, and, and when you're on the road, if I don't know if you want to say. Oh it. no, I'll say it because yeah, Justin, it. when she's on the road, watches The Bachelorette and follows. Actually, follows Steve. He, well, I have to admit something. He watches The Bachelor, Bachelorette. If I'm not home, of course but he does. I'm. The reality Steve fan. <laughs> <laughs> and he has yelled at me because I've looked. And so this season I didn't look at reality Steve. You didn't he, do it. He was, no, he got mad. He was like, no, if I'm going to watch this, you better not spoil stuff. So I didn't <laughs> do it this season. It was so hard. <laughs> wow. I give you credit because I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of wives out there. They would have looked. And then not said anything? And not said anything. I know. And I've done that in the past, but he always <laughs> out. Oh. He'll know because you're going to get up and go for go to the fridge for something, and he's going to be like, wait a minute. Why'd she take you take phone not, to the fridge? Wait a minute. <laughs> you wouldn't normally leave during this. Oh. Uh, he can read me like a book. <laughs> yeah. Well, my mother-in-law, she she always reads the spoilers, and, and my wife, too. And a lot of times she just reads them just to see, you know, is he right? Um it's kind of like an interactive way of watching the show. So I don't know. Well, Mary, this has been so incredible. And we want to look ahead a little bit. And we always like to ask and sort of end with, is there anything in the near future that's currently exciting you? Do you, do you have a, a vision yet of where you see yourself in the next six months, one year, five four years? Four years. Yeah, four years. Five, <laughs> yeah, four years, five years. <laughs> Well, uh, first of all, I'm going on a cruise in a week, so I'm so excited. <laughs> thanks for inviting us, but we're busy. Oh. I... <laughs> you know what? Anyone's welcome to jump on that cruise. I'll be in the New Jersey. Than... <laughs> <laughs> um, so that will be good for me emotionally, just to get away from everything for a week. Um, but after that, so I, I had decided before these Olympic trials that I was definitely going to go through 2017 um, with pole vaulting. Um, I just knew that I just wasn't ready to be done quite yet. Yeah, Mary. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm definitely pole vaulting through next year, and there's a world championship next summer in London. And so my eyes are definitely set on that. And um, I'm excited, actually, to approach next year just the way I honestly approached between my injury and the trials, like dancing before practices and just like truly having fun knowing that it's no longer the, the Olympics are behind us and there's no pressure just doing what I love. And then, you know, I'll have to see where I'm at after um, next summer um, to decide if I want to keep going, if I want to play it year by year, if I want to do till 2020 right now, I'm kind of feeling no, that maybe I'd want to, move on to the next thing in life, which I'm thinking would be, well, hopefully become a mother in a few years. And I want to get involved in more in like the fitness world, but I'm not sure exactly what path I want to take. So this summer and next year, I'm going to really use to try and narrow down that direction, like which direction I want to go next. But who knows, like maybe after next year, I'm like, you know what, I'm going 2020. So I guess it's all up in the air. But yeah, right now I'm thinking next year and then maybe see what's next in life. Have you been to Japan? Um, I have not actually. Mm -hmm. 
But what, what's in Japan? 2020. Oh, 2020's in Japan. Okay. <laughs> she said she's been all over the world. So I just, you know, I figured maybe if she's never been to Japan, that would be a little extra incentive. Incentive yeah. to, uh, but obviously it's. That, uh, that's true. We have some and I time. think uh, Tokyo would be really cool. Yeah. If, yeah. It's, if it helps you decide, I'm seriously considering going to the 2020 Olympics. Oh, really? Mm hmm. Well, that would be awesome. I just think it's, uh, it's, I've never been to an Olympics, uh, and I think that would be kind of cool, and I think uh, Japan might be the place to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, obviously, there's been a lot of talk about <laughs> this Olympics and, you know, all the issues going on with it, and, but I think... Uh, Tokyo will definitely have their act together. Yeah, so. yeah. I agree. I, I, you brought up yeah. Steph Curry before. I know. I think he's. Uh, I think he's taking this. Uh, this one off. But the. I heard the NBA team is on a cruise ship. Did you hear that? Oh, I did not. They're not. <laughs> sta- they are not show. staying in the Olympic Village. They're staying on a cruise ship. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. Why wouldn't That's- they? Yeah, I don't, well, I heard they bought the cruise ship. Uh, they probably. That's why I was wondering. <laughs> I was like, man, they probably. Everybody gets their own room, and yeah. Oh my god! I mean, living yeah, it up. I've already yeah, heard. They're, they're going to love our basketball team over there. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see how it all turns out for yeah. for everybody there. But you know, Mary, I'll say too that I know we talked off mic about uh, you know things in the future. I think you know if Mary Saxer, you know, dot com stays a website, and uh, I think it could be a really cool uh, personal trainer slash you know life coach. You know, like if if you can just put into words like you did with this post, you know, you know, a, a perspective on life like that. There's a lot of young women, men, you know, guys, girls out there that just need somebody in their lives like that. So, you know, even if it's not as a coach, just as, uh, just as like, you know, somebody that people follow, I, I, yeah. I want to say just, you know, keep it up. Well, thank you so much. I mean, yeah, like looking to the future, I, I've realized, you know, through this whole pole vaulting thing that, what makes me the most happy is like touching other people's lives and making a difference and helping them in even a small way. And so that's kind of why my focus going forward, I think might be something along the lines of life coach, whatever that means exactly. I don't know, but um, I feel like I have at least a starting point (laughs) where I might want to go. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Well, Mary, maybe you could plug just one more time uh, where people can follow you, uh, Facebook, Instagram, your website, all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my website is marysaxer.com. Um, Facebook, I have um, an athlete page. It's just Mary Saxer. Um, so go like it. Um, Instagram is Mary at Mary Saxer. And then my Twitter is at Sax Defy Gravity, but I'm sure if you just look up Mary Saxer, it'll pop up. So yeah, any more followers are always encouraged, and don't be afraid to reach out and message me with any questions or anything anyone has. I'm always welcoming people with open arms. So yeah, absolutely, definitely. If, uh, you know, everybody out there listening, just you know, let her know that if you, if this uh, episode you know kind of rang a bell with you or you know leaves you a little bit uh, thinking about things uh, in a good way, positive way, which I think it will inspire a lot of people out there. Just you know, you know, just comment, like the page, say hey, say listen to the episode, and uh, you know, send some uh, send some love Mary's way is what I'm saying. And if anyone wants to go with me to the 2020 Olympics, just message them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting the bus ready. <laughs> oh, we're yeah. taking a bus. <laughs> 
<laughs> we got to leave soon. Right. <laughs> it's going to take a while. Uh, well, Mary, thank you so much for uh, coming back on the show again, you know, for part two, for the update. And guys, this has been another fantastic, amazing, uh, inspirational episode of Guys Telling Stories. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. You just keep adding adjectives. It's awesome. <laughs> it's, a lot, it's a lot of adjectives, but I think it's all appropriate this time around. So uh, I'm Rich Douglas. I'm Bill Easton. Until next time. Bye-bye. All right, Bill. Wow. You all right, Rich? Yeah, I'm emotional, Bill. <laughs> No, it was it was that uh, was sincerely very uh it was sincerely very very uh, I'm happy with it. Yeah, it was I'm going to use all the adjectives. It was incredible. It, it was an amazing story and it just meant so much that she was able to share that with us. I'm surprised and, you wanted to talk about it. Well, you know what? It's inspiring. I want to like go do something great today. I want to like climb a mountain or something. Well, that's getting a little carried away. Uh, well, you know, Mary's going to be on her cruise when this airs. So let's all maybe get behind her, message her, show her some support. Sure. Let's do that. Her, um, she has a fan page on Facebook, Mary Saxer. And just, you can leave messages there, I think. Yeah, leave her a message, like that page. Yeah, like gr- the page. And I don't think she'll have Wi-Fi access. So when she gets back, she'll have like all these awesome people that mm-hmm. listen to, you know, showing their support. And she, um, she, wrote, she read some of the... Uh, letter that she posted the message that she posted on her facebook page but you can read the whole thing up there too for yourself she she did skip some of it so the whole thing's a pretty good read so yeah, definitely def- check it out yeah definitely well maybe we'll even post that uh on our website too so people will share it or something so okay cool and listen guys if you're looking uh for some more mary here uh head over to guys telling stories.com uh, hit support the show and check out mary's short story special Say that 10 times fast. Short story special. Yeah, Short not story easy. Special. Yeah, she told a good one, guys, and that's available on our page. Do you remember what it was about, Sean? <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to give too much away, but it's, it involves some travel and some, uh, some ups and downs, and uh, it made for a great story. So go check that out. Support the show and uh, support the show. Yeah, Sean support can, it. I, he said it the first time, too, that way. You can support it. <laughs> and he's and much louder it. this time, too. He's like... <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> that's okay. He can be loud. He's a producer. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah. yeah. Producer Sean. Here we are. So uh, go to guystellingstories.com, hit support the show, um, and check out Short Story Special. All right. Producer Sean, thank you for that. Guys, this has been an amazing, incredible... Inspirational, <laughs> Rich. Inspirational Riches in tears. ...of Guys Telling Stories podcast. I'm Rich Douglas. I'm Bill Easton. Until next time. See ya.